United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. If you follow sports even just a little bit, you probably heard the story of Becky Hammond, who Greg Popovich hired to be the first female on an NBA coaching staff. Catherine Smith, the first female to also do that at the NFL level. Now in professional soccer, Carrie Taylor, who started her playing career at the University of Michigan. She stuck around and coached a little bit there. She has bounced all over. She coached a men's Division three college team at the same time she was coaching a women's D3 women's soccer team. But it wasn't easy for her. At times, she was even out of soccer, teaching a little bit, at one time even working at UPS. Well, she went down to San Diego to try to help them get an MLS bid, sat down next to Landon Donovan. They formed a great relationship. Landon saw what we all see in Carrie Taylor. That is a great coach. Doesn't matter the gender. And Landon Donovan named her the first assistant coach for his team in San Diego as part of USL Championship. Carrie Taylor will join me today to kick off the show as she inspires so many of us. Speaking of inspiration, Hannah Davison, who starred at Northwestern, perhaps a player that you may not recognize, she's now in her second year as a reserve for the Chicago Red Stars. She is still living her dream and she is still committed to doing things out of her comfort zone. That includes joining me in the booth for the Big Ten Network and that includes training on her own to get better technically. Hannah Davison shares her story. I hope you enjoy it. And finally, as you all know, this is not the only podcast covering soccer. There's so many of them, as we saw on Podcast Row at the most recent convention in Baltimore. One podcast that wasn't there, at least on Podcast Row, turns out they were in a back room, is a podcast called Beautiful Game, presented by Weasels FC and hosted by Tony Niccolo. This man is a brilliant man. He is super articulate. He has a vocabulary that will blow your mind. I'm jealous of him, to be fair. He did a podcast a month or so ago with the legendary Anson Dorrance, who, of course, was featured last week in a super successful webinar hosted by United Soccer Coaches that I was lucky to play a small role in. And I wanted you to hear the story of Tony Niccolo and his podcast, beautiful game tony niccolo will wrap up the show carrie taylor hannah davison tony niccolo that's our show and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor team snap managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job with team snap it doesn't have to they help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication registration scheduling and more bring your club or league into the 21st century with team snap Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. I am Dean Linky. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by TeamSnap. And as you just heard me say in the open, we are kicking off with Carrie Taylor. She is the first assistant for Landon Donovan, arguably one of the best ever to wear a U.S. men's national team jersey for San Diego Loyal FC USL Championship, of course, they started the season against Eric Wilnaldo. That was exciting, but everybody was just as excited to see Carrie Taylor, the first woman to be on a professional men's soccer coaching staff, and as I said earlier, the first assistant 
for San Diego Loyal SC, and we welcome Carrie Taylor now to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Dean, thank you so much for having me on. It's definitely an honor, and uh, I'm excited to talk some soccer. Well, we're going to talk soccer. I am going to get these two names out of the way right away because I'm sure you've heard them a ton when you think about Becky Hammond and Catherine Smith crossing over in both basketball and football. When you saw that they were able to do that, did that play a role in anything you were doing? Or I mean, you had already coached men college soccer, so perhaps you were ahead of them anyway. It's always great to see other women excel within their careers and you know they they both have have chosen that career path and I'm a big fan and and really proud of of all the women who you know are pushing the envelope and putting themselves out there and just doing amazing um things within uh, within sports in general. So I wouldn't say that they change my thought process to be honest I never I never said hey I want to be you know on the men's side of a professional team it's just you know the career path is has been windy and within sport it's often a roller coaster so it, it just kind of happened this way and you know I'm I'm just so proud and excited to be a team member of of San Diego Loyal and to work you know with the with the great staff and the great players that we have. All right, well, that makes perfect sense because I do want to remind everybody that long before Becky Hammond joined the San Antonio Spurs, Carrie Taylor, our guest to start, actually started the men's soccer team at Mount St. Joseph University, my home state, the state of Ohio. All right, well, let's get to know you. Uh, and before we do that, as you're, i got to believe, aware, United Soccer Coaches, they've got a female CEO over the years with their different advocacy groups. They have opened so many doors for women in soccer, and I feel like we still need more women in soccer, even on women's soccer teams for college. We need more women coaching those teams. But just as a, an initial plug, United Soccer Coaches has been really, really strong in the sense of fighting for women in the sport. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and, you know, I, I've i been um, a supporter of United Soccer Coaches throughout my career and been to the, the numerous conventions. Um, one of my first coaching directors, Peter Gagliotti, like, made it um, basically mandated that, like, myself and other staff members of one of the soccer clubs I used to coach for get involved with United Soccer Coaches. So I've kind of been in and out of of involvement but it's a great organization and you know connects people and connects people through the the game that we all love all right well let's get to know you a little bit i actually grew up just outside of toledo i'm familiar okay. with flint michigan blue collar town just like toledo and i know that yep. you told me before we went on the air that you didn't even start playing soccer until you were 12 so tell us your story growing up in flint and then how you found the soccer ball at age 12 and then how you got the coaching bug at age 15 yeah, so um, Flint, Michigan gets often gets a bad rap. Um, it's a great, you know, it's a great, as you mentioned, blue-collar, hardworking um, city, great people. And if you look at um, Flint, it produces a lot of great athletes and a lot of um, great coaches come out of Flint, and that's attributed to the summer programs that they still do and have done for um, gosh, 60 plus years, um, an organization called the Flint Olympian Canusa Games. And that's what I grew up playing soccer in and refereeing in, um, and actually started coaching when I was 15. One of 
somebody said, hey, Carrie, you know, do you want to coach this under 10 co-ed team? And and I said, sure, I'll give it a shot. And I, you know, actually enjoyed it and um, coached within that program for a while. And when I went to college at the University of Michigan, I, I started to get involved in coaching and, and had good mentors around me that, you know, pushed me to get my coaching licenses. So I did a lot of my coaching licenses back when I was in college and, you know, decided my my senior year of college that instead of going to medical school, um, I wanted to be a soccer coach. So I had to have that tough conversation with my dad. Um, I have a biology undergrad, you know, took the MCAT, was getting ready to apply to medical school and pivoted um, that career path or potential career path into soccer. And it's, it's been a wild ride. It's had its ups and downs, but, you know, it's it's truly been awesome to have the opportunity to, to work within something that I'm so passionate um, about. I was always that kid who was super competitive at whatever I did. And I used to watch the Olympics and I, like I would watch the opening ceremonies and the closing ceremonies and watch all the sports and sport just really um, spoke to me. So I was, you know, my first little team was 10 year old co-ed team at Washington Elementary um, that's when the field that we played at and the school you know not even open these days but um, I just really enjoyed it and you know it, it was such a challenge to try to um, teach the game and organize people and and I just I really enjoyed it and you know I fell in love with it and you know I've coached so many different teams and so many different levels and you know I've lived in a bunch of states but it's you know soccer is just a it's a beautiful sport and it's a great opportunity to impact uh, people's lives and you know I'm constantly learning from other coaches and you know evolving as a coach myself so it's been fantastic I you know looking back I, I wouldn't have it any other way I, I don't regret not going to medical school at all other than maybe my bank account but <laughs> other than that <laughs> we're here with Carrie Taylor the first assistant for Landon Donovan USL Championship San Diego Loyal FC obviously all of us are on hold right now as we wait for the go-ahead as our entire country our entire world dealing with covid 19. Now, it was great to get to know you before we went on the air because you had big exposure. You went and saw games at the Pontiac Silverdome in the 94 World Cup. I mentioned I was with the U.S. team. And then you also said that you went to Michigan. Debbie Belkin was part of that 91 World Cup champion team under Anson Dorrance, who was on last week as part of the COVID webinars for United Soccer Coaches. You played for Debbie Belkin, and then you know Linda Hamilton. Talk about those tie-ins, because that's another way to, for lack of a better word, fuel the fire when you're around big-time players like that, right? Yeah. I mean, um, I was fortunate enough to, you know, play for Debbie and Linda. Linda was uh, the club coach at Michigan um, because I was part of that Title IX growth. When I went to Michigan originally, we were a club soccer team, and my my club teammates and I, like, pushed the university to um, elevate women's soccer to a varsity sport. So I was, you know, I I was able to play four strong female role models who had, you know, had won a World Cup back when not many people knew there was even a Women's World Cup. So, you know, they definitely impacted my life in, in many ways. Linda's coaching um, in Texas now for a Division Three team, and 
I still keep in touch with her and, and you know, the, the women on that team and, you know, just athletes in general, our men's national team athletes, like, they don't really realize how many people they impact just by what they do on the field and, and how how successful they are or how they deal with challenges and things. So I, I feel very fortunate to have had those experiences and, you know, along the road I've I've Shannon McMillan, who is on the you know 99 Women's World Cup. She's part. She's an advisor here for SD Loyal and uh, and a friend um, and colleague, you know. And I've had the opportunity to to work with Joy Fawcett and you know meet Mia Hamm, work at summer camp for for Julie Foudy, and and so you know there's there's so many so many so many key people within this within this game of soccer that continue to give to you know the generations behind them. All right, so picking up, so you go, you think you're going to get into medical school, the coaching bug is there for you, so you talk to Dad and say, hey, this is what I want to <laughs> do. So walk us through every every path. I know you moved around. Every a lot. path, yeah. I, yeah, I did the same thing. So walk us through every path to where you ended up with Landon Donovan. So <laughs> you got a lot of time. <laughs> you got a lot of time. Have a lot of jobs along the way. Um, you know, within within sport, there it's always it's always a, a a roller coaster, no matter what sport you're playing. So yeah, so after um, after playing at, at Michigan, I worked for the athletic department there for a while um, and coached club for a, a club team called Ann Arbor Arsenal, um, and and that was a great experience, and you know, continued to get my coaching licenses and so then I took a job at Temple University as an assistant coach and packed up and moved to Philly and that was that was an experience um, learned a lot there uh, and then from there gosh I moved to Cincinnati Ohio and I worked for a club called Sycamore Arsenal and then also I uh, was fortunate to be hired on as an assistant at Xavier University under Dr. Ron Quinn, um, who is phenomenal, and I learned a lot from um, over the, over the years, and um, you know, still keep in contact with him here and there. From there, I took a little hiatus from the college game, and I had this moment of like, huh, maybe I should use my biology degree. So I actually left college coaching and went and taught high school biology and was a high school soccer coach at Milford High School in Cincinnati. That was a tough job. Teaching, oof, teaching's a tough job. So that was that was awesome. And then I got the coaching, the college coaching bug again, um, and a good friend of mine pushed me and talked me into applying for a Division three job and not just one job, but two, two head coaching jobs. So I applied for, at the time it was called the College of Mount St. Joseph, now it's called Mount St. Joseph University um, in Cincinnati. It's a Division three school that played in the Heartland Collegiate Athletic Conference. So the role was to take over the women's program and to um, start a men's college soccer program. And that was in 2005. And Honestly, I was like, why am I even applying for this? Like, they're never going to hire me to coach a men's team. Um, but my buddy, Scott Swain, was like, you know what? Just do it. Like, put yourself out there and do it. So I ended up getting an interview, and they offered me the job. So I took that challenge on um, and 
you know, Division Three soccer is an amazing um, place to coach. Um, a lot of times that if you're a D3 coach, you, you might coach multi- multiple teams. You might, you know, coach lacrosse and soccer or whatever. So I, w- I was the head coach of the men's and women's team, so I had to field a, a men's team within eight months. And um, I was there four years. It felt like eight, but all of those experiences, I feel, really prepared me um you know, for for kind of laying the groundwork for this job. After that, I actually decided I wanted to move to California, so I packed up and moved to California, and I worked for a couple clubs out here in California, was a girls' director at United Football Club, and then took a job with the Vancouver Whitecaps with their, um, at the time they had a W League team, and I went up there to coach with a friend of mine. And I got up there, and they discontinued their 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 team, while I was there, um, I was coaching our girls' U18 team. So basically, I left the United States, went to Canada, picked up and moved for what I thought was going to be this, like, fantastic two-year journey. It ended up being six months. So I came back to California, and at the time, it, there was, like, it was a bad time to come back for soccer. So there, at the time, like, no one was really hiring. It was just a weird time. So I couldn't find a job. So at 40 years old, I, like, couldn't find a soccer job. So I ended up working for UPS for a little while, and it was, like, the most humbling experience of my life. And I almost gave up on coaching soccer. I was like, why am I doing this? And, um, you know, I got some pep talks from, from some of my mentors and then got back into the club game and was a director coaching for Lagoon United. And then um, moved to San Diego to help out with a, a bid for uh, Major League Soccer in San Diego, and, and that's how I met Landon. I went to a meeting, sat on the couch next to Landon. We hit it off. He asked me to help out with the push for MLS. We were in the trenches together. Um, that push didn't happen, um, but when uh, Warren Smith, you know, came and talked to, to Landon about a USL franchise in San Diego. Landon came to me and we were bouncing ideas off of each other and it just kind of progressed into um, eventually like, hey, Terry, do you want to coach with me? And I jumped at the opportunity. Um, you know, you, you don't turn down an opportunity like this and it's it's been a crazy ride. That's that's the abridged version of, of my soccer path and you know, along the way I've coached ODP and regional been on regional staff and um, done camps and done top coaching education in multiple states. Soccer is has been my life. It's a wild ride. I've had lots of great experiences along the way, lots of great people, lots of great mentors and here I am. In San Diego, working in a USL championship and, and loving it, and can't wait to get back out on the field when um, when it's safe. Terry Taylor, I love your tie-ins. I love that you dropped some names. Dr. Ron Quinn has been a guest on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. He actually ran for the board. He's done so much for the game. And then Milford High School, my best friend, my best man, went to Milford High School. I love that you spent a little bit of time there, although it sounds like yep. you were running out of there. I don't blame you, indeed. <laughs> and uh, you found your way to, to San Diego. I love that part of the world. Mission Viejo is where I was with the U.S. team, and then we go down to yep. San Diego quite a bit. And then it's connecting yep. with Landon. 
So now that you made this connection and you've already done it uh, with that D3 school in Ohio, you've coached men, what is your message to all the young women listening right now that might be thinking, you know, hey, I can do that too. I can coach men. Why not? What's your message? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I've i said this a couple times, um, you know, the rules of soccer, the game of soccer for men and women, it's the same. You know, there's no, there's no nuance, different nuances to the rules. The, the, the size of the field is the same. The, you know, the tactics are the same. And people, people are people. So, it, you know, if you know the game, if you know the X's and O's and you know how to motivate individuals, then, then why not? You know, men coach women all the time, and so it should, you know, it should be the same. Women should be able to coach men. So um, I, I think that my my hope is that, you know, if, if Landon Donovan, who so many people across the world respect within soccer, if, if he's willing to hire quality coaches, and one of them happens to be a female, then hopefully other people who are hiring assistants will take a look at what fits your program, will take a look at a resume, will take a look at a, as, at a candidate as a coach and not a female coach, not a male coach, not a, you know, insert whatever, you know, word you want, whether it's gender, whether it's ethnicity, you know, like a coach is a coach is a coach. So if there are young women out there that are interested in coaching men, put your name forward to, you know, start with a youth team, apply for men's coaching, you know, uh, coaching jobs of, you know, male college teams. Kim Kim Wyant coaches at New York University. She coaches Division Three men and took her team to the NCAA tournament this year, you know, like there are there are many other women out there that are coaching high school boys teams and and youth teams, um, and if that's something that interests you, like go for it, go for it. So one of the things that I was reading about you is during your time as the men's coach for that D three school in Ohio, every once in a while there would be some hecklers, but your team had your back. Can you share that story? Yeah, um, you know, uh, early on, and it happened it happened a lot in the first the first year I think um there were times where we'd get off the bus and you know like sometimes the other team would would make snide comments or you know a a couple times in the stands opposing teams would say oh whose mom is that or you know like make a joke like that or um oh I wonder where she's coached and and you know the players the players always like they they're they would like say who said that and I'm like guys don't worry about it like just focus on the game so um you know you're no matter what you're gonna have people out you're gonna have naysayers whether you're male or female you know like you're gonna have twitter trolls you're gonna have people saying oh like this person doesn't know what they're doing so um you you just have to have self-confidence and and you know, my, my guys at Mount St. Joe, they were, they were great and they respected me and, and my staff. They worked hard. They had my back. You just have to deal with it and you move on and you just go, okay, like, haha, and, you know, make light of it and optimist. on to the next challenge. <laughs> on to the next thing, yeah. Well, for sure, Carrie, I'm an optimist. I also consider myself 
a lover, and I'd like to believe that in today's world, particularly sitting next to Landon Donovan, I'd like to believe that the heckling has ended, and now it's about, wow, Landon Donovan, as you said, respects what Terry Taylor can do, just like Coach Pop respects what Becky can do, and just like what the 49ers respect what Miss Smith can do. i, I got to believe and hope that the heckling days are behind you. Please tell me they are. What do you think? I hope so. If if you know if people are out there questioning me, then that's that's their issue, not mine. We have a great staff. We have our athletic trainer and our head of performance are both women, um, and you know we don't talk about them enough. Shannon McMillan is an advisor um, to our to our team, and and you know there's we 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 have, and to Landon's credit, you know he he's hired people who can do the job that also just happen to be women. So, you know, if, if people don't like that or it seems weird to them, then, again, that's that's their issue. And we, we all have a job to do, and we're going to do it to the best of our ability for our team. As we wrap up here, Carrie Taylor, I really appreciate you putting so much detail into your story because it's fascinating, even the part of, you know, kind of pausing and doing the UPS thing but not giving up <laughs> on your dream and yeah, yeah now you're with Landon as we wrap it up here uh and kind of going back to my other question which was a little bit about you know just you know your message to women but you know what forget about just your message to women what's your message about never giving up because you know like you said it wasn't easy but you didn't give up and you you've reached a pretty high point at this point yeah, um, and I, I appreciate you saying the message to, to whomever um, because, you know, women can be role models not just for other girls and women, but women can be role models for, for people in general. Life is hard. <laughs> like, life is not easy, and, and no matter what your job, you're going to have challenges, and, you know, you're going to get fired. Like, I've been fired before, and, and, you know, we talk about coaches get hired to get fired, and, and you know, if you truly enjoy something um, that gets you out of bed and gets you excited, you're going to have setbacks, but, you know, the the comeback is always bigger and better than the setback. So, you know, we all have self-doubt. We all have challenges, and you just have to find a way to, to keep going and pursue your passion, whatever that may be, whether it's soccer, whether it's basketball, whether it's business. And just keep keep going, keep pushing, and because you never know what's going to happen. Like in a million years, I never would have thought I walked into a meeting and would sit next to Landon, and three years after that, I would be in this position. So, network, meet people, work hard, learn from others, educate yourself, and just go. You know, go for it. You have inspired me, and I know you're going to inspire all of our listeners and all the members of United Soccer Coaches. Carrie Taylor, first assistant, San Diego Loyal SC USL Championship under Landon Donovan. Your message is awesome, Carrie Taylor. Thank you so much for kicking off our show. Let's get back out there playing some soccer, and when we do, we wish you the best of luck out there in San Diego. Thanks so much for being on our program. Yeah, thank you, Dean. I really appreciate it. Okay, how about Carrie Taylor? A roller coaster indeed, but she stuck with it, and now she is the first woman 
to be on a professional men's soccer coaching staff working with the great Landon Donovan. Speaking of inspiring women, I want to share the story of Hannah Davison, who played at Northwestern and is now in her second year with the Chicago Red Stars. She has joined me in the booth for the Big Ten Network, and now especially during this COVID-19 quarantine time, she continues to work on her game, work on her fitness, and more importantly as a soccer player, work on her touch trying to be more than just a center back. She wants to be a technically sound player, and she also wants to get out of her comfort zone. I like that about Hannah Davidson, and she's up next. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches? Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Great to visit with Carrie Taylor, the first female to be on a professional men's soccer team coaching staff. She is Landon Donovan's first assistant out in San Diego. Let's hope the USL Championship and all of these great leagues can get back up and run in and get away from this COVID-19 and return things to normal. Speaking of powerful women, women that... I like their story. I'm so pleased to be joined by Hannah Davison. And if you're wondering who's Hannah Davison, well, I'm going to tell you about her. Hannah Davison was a stalwart defender at Northwestern after doing outstanding work in club soccer. She went to Geneva High School. She just graduated over a year ago and was picked up by the Chicago Red Stars now in her second season. As you all know, I've been working for the Big Ten Network for 15 years, and we're always looking four great analysts to join. We reached out to Hannah and Kayla Sharples, who was their center back combo, and they're also on the Red Stars together. We'll get more into that. And Hannah came ready. She showed up for the tryout ready. She showed up for her games ready. And she did that while also continuing to play for the Chicago Red Stars. She is a young woman, I think I can say, that not only wants to be a great soccer player, she wants to be a great at everything she does, and I think there's an outstanding message in how she's gone about building her young career, and I wanted to share it with all of you on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, and with that, that's why Hannah Davidson joins me now. Hannah, great to be with you. Hi, Dean. It's so good to be working with you again. You really do know how to make someone feel special, and it's great to hear your voice again. Well, I appreciate that, and I meant every word I said because you know, I admire those traits because if you're going to do something, you always want to do it right. And the way you brought that mentality into calling games for the Big Ten Network while you were training and trying to get on the field for the Chicago Red Stars left a big mark with me. Is that how you've always been, Hannah? Have you always been somebody, like I just said, if you're going to do it, do it right? Absolutely. I think that that's just been a huge part of my life, even just when I was younger. My parents instilled those values in me of, 
I know that I can achieve anything that I set out to do, and so in order to do that, I just have to give 100%, and I think it's just so important that no matter what you're working towards, that making sure that you can put the right amount of effort into it, and anything that has my name on it, you know, I want it to reflect of who I am and how hard I work and how passionate I am about my work, and I'm glad that you think that that shows through the work that I've done with you and the work on the field as well. Well, you're very self-aware because I don't believe it was like, you know, hey, I want to be on TV and it's something that you stayed up at night thinking about. But when the opportunity arose, you're like, okay, well, let me do this, but let me make sure I'm doing it right. Is that fair to say? I mean, it's not like you dreamed of being a TV star, right? (laughs) Absolutely not. Actually, when you called to see if I'd be interested in this, it was not something that I thought I would jump on board with, and I had a lot of conversations with family members and my boyfriend about being very nervous, and they said, you know what, go out of your comfort zone and just see if it's something that you like to do. Like you've already touched on, when I go into something, I go into it with 100%, so I was like, all right, I'm going to study the game, I'm going to watch a few games, take some notes, and luckily had a great person to be under. Uh, He definitely took me under your wing and listening to you, commentate you're the best of the best so it was easy to pick up and learn from you well i appreciate that so much because i really did enjoy the games we called and then i was able to see you in town for the red stars north carolina courage championship game which was awesome but let's go back to that comfort zone thing because all of us kind of like to settle in there tell me more about those conversations with your family and what was finally the the tipping point to say you know i'm going to go for it i'm at least going to do the trial and see what happens Yeah, I think having just started my professional career and, you know, working on things like your brand and what you want to put out about yourself, I think it presented itself as just this amazing opportunity to stay in touch with the Big Ten, which is something I just love that conference so much. Stay in touch with soccer. Just do something fun and lighthearted. And, you know, if you fall, just get back up and try again. And so I... I've had a lot of conversations with my boyfriend, Ramad uh, Jackie Bowman. He's a football player at Northwestern, and he's a lot more comfortable <laughs> speaking in front of people, just really knows how to connect with anyone in any room that he walks into. So talking to him and him really giving me the courage to just decide to do something that I wasn't comfortable with, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I think right when we started doing my practice interview with you guys, I just lit up and found that it was something I loved to do and I would have never known if I didn't take that step. So I'm very grateful for my family and for Ma who pushed me to do it. Well, we're glad you did it. Then let's sort of go back in time now and just talk about you growing up. You grew up in Geneva, went to Geneva High School. You were part of the great Eclipse Select Soccer Club for a long time with future Northwestern teammates Kayla Sharples and Aspen Rep. When did you know soccer was your thing? Because I think you were also pretty darn good in track and field too, right? I was, yeah. I would say I had been playing soccer my whole life, and track and basketball sort of came into the picture in middle school. And so soccer was always my first love and what I put the most time and effort towards. And I think when I started having success with the other sports, it was a conversation I really just had to keep having with myself on what I wanted in my future. And ultimately, in high school, I decided my junior and senior year to step away a little bit from the track and the basketball to really focus on soccer if I wanted to go to a Division One school and chase after that dream. And it definitely paid off getting a scholarship to go to Northwestern. And then throughout my time at Northwestern, I completely just fell in love with soccer all over again. Michael 
Moynihan and David Nicholas were key roles in helping me find that love again and just pushed me so hard to be the best player that I could be. And I would say my junior and senior year of college was when I really started thinking going professional is a real dream that I can go and achieve with the resources I've been given with the development that I've had as a player and a person over these last couple of years. And I knew that that's the next step for me no matter what. I have ambitions to go into the medical field, but this is now I'm going to live in the present. And as long as my body can keep me playing, this is the dream that I want to go after and decided I was going to put my name in the draft come the end of my senior season. So reflecting on Northwestern, growing up in Geneva, Northwestern, such an academic power, you talked about the two fine hit coaches, Michael Moynihan and David Nicholas, great people. You were part of great teams during your four years there, and it's not that far from Geneva. That had to have been incredible for your family, for you to get a scholarship at Northwestern and play the sport that you love not too far from where you grew up. It was, and it was a blessing in disguise because in the beginning I thought that I just wanted – the big-name soccer school, the big-name this, and to be somewhere warm and far away and do my own thing. And I didn't realize how grateful I would be that my parents could come to every single game. And on long weekends, I could make a trip home and be there for family birthdays and holidays and things you don't necessarily think about when all you want as a high school kid is the big-name soccer and everything that you think about with college that – it was definitely a blessing in disguise to be so close to my family. Well, you were great. I've called many of your games, and I was blown away, and I remember definitely trumpeting the Hannah Davidson word out there for sure because I thought you were one of the best defenders, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country, and obviously the Chicago Red Stars thought the same. Now, it's kind of interesting, Hannah, as you think about out of your comfort zone, joining me in the booth for the Big Ten Network, and I hope to see you there again for some games this year. The Chicago Red Stars are legit. They are loaded with superstars, as you know. And so you go from pretty much starting every game since arriving on campus in Evanston now to the grind of training with these superstars every day. How do you deal with that part of it, Hannah, when you're used to being the superstar so often? Yeah, I think this first season in NWSL was a very humbling one. Like you said, it's hard to go from being such an essential piece to your team for a majority of your life and then coming in and really seeing the level of a professional level. And so I think reflecting before I even got there, knowing that there's a lot of parts of my game that needed to be cleaned up technically, and then just really the mental battle of being a professional, I think, trumped anything else. I knew I could compete physically. I was big. I was strong. I was fast. But to be able to deal with the focus might not be on me at practice or I might not be getting in this game or getting the same amount of reps as I was used to, but just soaking everything in. Like you said, you're playing with the best players in the world, uh, not just in the United States, but in the world. And to be going up against, as a defender, I was going up against Samantha Kerr, who <laughs> is literally the best football player in the world. And so yep. that is just can't even put a price on that type of experience and the advice she was able to offer me and playing with Juilliard to someone I idolized growing up. I had pictures in my bedroom of her, just watched her so like vigilantly as a kid that it was such an amazing experience to be teammates with them and actually, you know, confide in them, ask them for advice and just watch them how they dictated uh, the game. That helped me grow as a person and player so much and has really prepared me well for the second season now that I kind of have the ground back under me and 
understand how the league works and the team works and have really put a lot of focus into my training to make sure that I'm clean enough to earn that spot on the field come game day. I love that answer, particularly getting advice from Sam Kerr, but also Julie Ertz. I mean, I still idolize her today. I mean, I thought she was the best player for the USA, and even in the most recent She Believes Cup, where it doesn't essentially matter, if you know what I mean, she still wins every single ball, every 50-50, even 40-60 wrong way, she somehow is able to win it. She plays the game the right way, doesn't she? She does, and that's exactly how I try to view myself on the field, is just that warrior mentality that I'm going to go in any tackle, I just, (laughs) she's just so strong, and I admire her work, and I think Casey Short, too, she's the best 1v1 player in the league. So to be able to see that type of training, and Julie, I mean, she played in one World Cup as a holding midfielder, in one World Cup as a center back, made the World Eleven in both positions. Like, who does that? That's amazing. So That's such a great point. Well, the one thing we haven't talked about, which I think kind of indicates uh, really how you make people feel, Hannah, and that is the COVID-19 thing. We haven't even touched on it yet, but, you know, here you go. you coming off this exciting year where you are on the Red Stars. So you make it to the championship game, fall a little bit short against a very good North Carolina Courage team, but clearly the Red Stars are legit. They made some moves. You're in training. You told me like 40 players are training. There's not mm-hmm. a drop-off from 1 to 40, and then all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out. How was that, knowing that, you know, you were in a good flow, the momentum was cooking for you, and then all of a sudden you and, and the rest of the world, everybody says, nope, we got to stop right now. I think it took me a little bit of time to adjust and really fully understand the severity of what was going on and to what degree everyone in the world was really going to be affected by it. Because, like you said, at the time, we just worked so hard coming off of preseason. Our fitness is the best it's been. We're clean technically. Preseason's going great. Everyone showed up ready to go. And then we had to have a lot of conversations about being, you know, scared for our own health and safety. But nobody wants to start over when you get to that point and having to take a step back. But ultimately, we did stop training on March 13th. And we didn't know how long that break was going to be for. So in the beginning, we kind of were just maintaining everything that we had, but thinking this is just going to be one or two weeks. But then finding out that there was really no end in sight is when I think it really started to hit me and how crazy this was. So I knew that I was lucky enough to be in quarantine in Chicago with my boyfriend, who's also an elite athlete and, like I said, plays football. And I think we both share a very hearty appetite to just get better every single day and love to take on new challenges. So we immediately sat down and started planning out a schedule to follow for the whole month because I knew if I didn't stay on top of all of this when we came back, we're still in competition for girls fighting to get on a roster spot, earning a contract, that I want to be the best that I can be at all times. And so we wrote down everything that we are going to do from a day-to-day for the whole month, and that's really what has kept me sane throughout this whole period, to be honest. Yeah, that certainly helps to have an elite-level athlete football player as a boyfriend going through this together because, you know, they also missed their, you know, quite a bit of their spring training as well. Well, here's the thing. So now you're a pro soccer player, you're delving into TV, and you're not afraid to take on new challenges, which leads us to kind of our final segue in 
obviously since finishing college and becoming a pro player, have you made changes to how you train or added new features to your training routine? Yeah, I think, like we said, like it's essential to continue to develop as a player when you work your way up through the club, collegiate, and professional level. And so those transitions were really big. And in order for me to make those, it meant adding a lot more technical training into my routine because I had been labeled as a defender my whole soccer career. So I think that limited how I thought of myself and where I could take my technical ability. So I would say that I've just put a lot heavier emphasis on ball handling and soccer-specific training so that I can feel the most comfortable when I'm on the field and giving me more opportunities to play in different positions. If asked by a coach, can you go and play a holding midfielder? Can you go play a winger? Can you do this and that? I'm equipped with all the skills that I need to be in unfamiliar, <laughs> uncharted territories of the field because a lot of my training has been more oriented around, you know, taking balls out of the air, heading, tackling, putting the right texture on a long ball out of the back. But center backs don't usually build that refined skill that does allow me to be a more versatile player. So that's really what I've been focusing on over the last few years. So let's dig deeper into that because, as I said earlier, you're a big-time player at Northwestern in the Big Ten where you trained all the time. How does your training now compare, like when you were in college, to what you're doing now? So – the more technical ability, I really try to break down and just work on things one at a time, first touch, stop and go, change of direction, just being comfortable taking people on. And so, like you said, mastering those ball handling skills. And in college, too, a lot of your physical training is oriented to being in a weight room. And so I actually met up right before becoming a pro at the end of my Northwestern season. Michael and David had introduced me to some of their friends, Rob Kehoe, Robert Kehoe, and Steve Merlin, who um, said, you know, these people have a really cool program that might help you take your game to the next level when you become a pro. And so I was all about that and wanting to learn more. And they introduced me to this program called Winning Ways Training that just gave me such great game-applicable ball handling skills that also had a physical training aspect to it. And so this just opened up a whole new understanding and how to train and really just helped me refine that technical ability and gave me that blueprint for designing my own workouts because that's what I struggled with the most is I can take a ball and cone out to a field, but then I kind of didn't know what to do from then. Um, so this has been a curriculum that I've now incorporated into my daily routines in quarantine especially, but even just after practice, you know, touching up the work that I might not have gotten at practice, and it's been transformative in my play. Well, one of the things that's important about it is you can train almost anywhere at any time. I guess you got a, a good example of that in early January when you couldn't find a gym, right? Yeah, we did. Rob had contacted me to help me go through the program one more time. We were like, oh, let's meet up at Northwestern. And when we got there, the field house was full and the field was taken by a team that was training. And so I was like, you know what? I guess we can't train today. And he's like, well, do you have a hallway? I was like, yeah, there's a couple hallways. He's like, all right, <laughs> let's just go meet at one. And we ended up, you know, taking a ball, some bands, and got an hour and a half workout in in this, like, six-by-six six yard space. And it was awesome. And I was like, wow, you really can train anywhere. There's no excuses. You have an hour of time and a little bit of space. You can do it. And now I've taken that. And especially in quarantine, it's been helpful because I've trained on my apartment balcony, inside the kitchen. And I've been training in a parking garage basement, just literally wherever there's space and time for me to do something. 
I love getting out there and just getting my touches in every day. Well, it sounds like you've continued with the program, and how are the results, Hannah? They have been awesome. In this last off season, I really wanted an opportunity to be able to test out the new moves I was trying and the confidence I had gained in the new training plan. So I committed to playing 66 pickup games with a group of pro men and pro women soccer players, all just from the Chicagoland area. And I did this several times a week. And after one or two sessions, I actually started getting a little bit more comfortable and decided to just jump in the middle of the field and take people on 1v1 and was so pleased with the comfort that I had on the ball. And it kind of surprised me how comfortable I felt and the results I was seeing. And I even had some of the men's players come up and congratulate me, pat me on the back and still offering me some advice. But I just felt, wow, this is really working. And it just made me want to, when I got off the field from there, go back and learn some more skills to bring them back the next time I was there. And so I had a blast this off-season training and just felt so good going into the season, which was really hard to take that step back with all the COVID-19 stuff. But this is just more opportunity for me to work on this curriculum and still just keep getting better every single day so that when we start back up, I haven't skipped a beat. Well, full disclosure, I have known Rock Keel for a long time as we've worked together for years on this NSCAA College Game of the Week on Fox Soccer, and I met his son, Robert, who I know is key with this, and I know you've been playing with Drew Connor, the former Badger from the Big Ten, who's now mm-hmm. with Indy 11 under Martin Rennie. And so having worked with Rob for a long time, he even tried to get a numbskull like me to do some of these tough training <laughs> sessions, and I'll tell you what, they're not easy, but behind the Winning Ways seminars and the Winning Ways training, it is exciting to hear that you're a part of it, and it's exciting to hear that it's fulfilling part of you training as a pro. It definitely is, isn't it? It is, and it was just so enjoyable and exciting to do the program, to be a part of the development process, and just building my relationships with all of them. It's been so much fun. Lots of Zoom calls, and I'm excited to share it with everybody, and it's going to be great. Here's the thing. You reached out to me just to see how I was doing, and next thing you know, we're on a phone call, and I'm like, hey, let's just talk about your story and how you're staying fresh, and you know, lo and behold, it turns out uh, you're tied a little bit to, to Rob. If people do want to learn more about what this Winning Ways training is all about, where can they go? Yeah, it's very simple. We just launched our website, winningwaystraining.com, and We would love to invite your audience to reach out to any of us or just come join us for a workout. Finally, you think about the inspiration that you now offer to young girls for all your games, home or away, even at Northwestern, but now with the Red Stars, you do all these incredible appearances, Hannah, and you're always so bright and and give time to these young girls. You just heard Carrie Taylor before you, who's now an assistant coach on a men's team, breaking down barriers. How does that make you feel hearing her story? I mean, that is just amazing. And those are the types of women that I look up to and I hope all the young girls below me look up to because it's so rare that females are given these roles and we're the most competitive and confident and strong leaders that there are. So we need more women in sports and more visibility. And I hope that even us just playing in the NWSL, we get a lot of young girls out there that love to see us play and hope and dream to be out there with us someday. Listen, during this COVID, I wish you and your boyfriend, who is a uh, he's a, a wide receiver, right, for Northwestern, is that the position? He is, yep, yep. Okay, and does, does he have pro aspirations too? He does, yep. He's been training and getting all that in line to 
or not this coming draft, but the next one. All right. In, in my view, Hannah, honestly, I feel like your mom and dad would tell me that you've already built your life in a winning ways mentality, so a natural fit as well. <laughs> you carry yourself in such a great way, and I love having you in the booth. Hopefully we can get back there, and I hope you get back on the field and win some games with the Red Stars. Really, really appreciate you being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, Hannah Davidson. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Dean, and I hope you stay safe as well, you and your family. I think we find inspiration in so many ways during these times, including Hannah Davison, now listed as a reserve for Chicago Red Stars. But how many great stories does this young woman already have getting out of her comfort zone and making things happen? This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Another podcast is called Beautiful Game presented by Weasels FC. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by T-Snap. Really, just by luck, didn't even realize it, but it's turning out to be an all-Big Ten podcast as Terry Taylor went to the University of Michigan and then Hannah Davidson went to Northwestern. And we've got another Wolverine joining us now, Tony Niccolo, who is the host of the podcast Beautiful Game, brought to you by Weasels FC. Tony Niccolo had Anson Dorrance on several weeks ago in one of the best podcasts I have ever heard. Of course, we had Anson Dorrance on one of our webinars with United Soccer Coaches last week. Over 1,600 people tuned in for that, and thus the connection has begun with Tony. Tony, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Hi, Dean. Super excited to be here. Yeah, I really enjoyed your entire interview with Anson. You actually are based in Vancouver, where you're listed as an entrepreneur, investor, and a soccer coach, and of course also the host of Beautiful Game. But you actually were in Chapel Hill, in Anson's office, overlooking the stadium named after him, at least the field. I was moved by it, Tony. So let's first start, though, with uh, the background of Beautiful Game and Weasels FC. How did you put this together? Weasels FC started really as just a, a soccer team called the Weasels. Uh, I had a group of kids who wanted to play in some tournaments, and the, either the, the academy they were playing with or the club they were on weren't going to the tournament. And so we would just sign up a team uh, under another club and, and kind of weasel our way into some tournaments. And uh, it, it grew from there into a larger community of people who are resilient, quick-witted, tenacious, and, and sometimes underestimated. And a lot of that came from the sort of background research that I started to, to do about weasels. And so we produce a podcast called Beautiful Game, and we share stories and ideas about growth and resilience primarily through interviews with soccer coaches around the world. Our goal really is to help people live, work, and play better through insights that allow them to face change with confidence and improve a little each day. It was interesting when you asked Anson his impressions of Weasel. I think it was similar to perhaps what, how I would feel about it as well. I don't think he necessarily liked it, right? But 
as you break down your definition of a weasel, it, it makes sense. But do you remember that part of the interview when you asked him directly what he thinks of when he thinks of a weasel, and it kind of shut down for a moment? Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people still have that uh, impression of a weasel as as being a pejorative term, where you know you refer to someone who's uh, maybe sneaky or cheat. And you know there is a there is an element to a weasel that in the wild they are willing to kill another creature and and move into their house as if it were their own. Uh, but they are an animal that is is often underestimated because they're sort of cute looking and they're small. Uh, but they're known for being able to take on prey that are that are much larger than themselves, and they're very intelligent, uh, tenacious creatures. And the opposite end of that, beautiful game, right? As weasels aren't necessarily beautiful in any sense, but uh, we've called soccer beautiful game for a long time. And so good on you to grab that name for your podcast. Uh, I'm assuming the answer is fairly simple as to, why you picked that name, but I'll let you break it down anyway, Tony. So as an entrepreneur, I've uh, done some work in and around technology and, and started a couple of software businesses. And for the uh, Women's World Cup, when it was being hosted uh, in the U.S. and Canada, we created an app called Beautiful Game that allowed you to follow your favorite teams and players and, and get live scores and, and see what was going on. From that, we saw a lot of engagement in, in the women's game, honestly more engagement than there is uh, generally in, in the men's game from an app perspective, and experimented with that for a while and, and produced it again for the men's World Cup uh, the following you know, two years later. And have always wanted to, to do something in and around the sport that I love, I, I played semi-professionally as a goalkeeper. I'm an active coach now. Met my wife playing, and uh, I sold my last company and uh, was doing right now. I'm doing some some sort of home renovation work, and have always been fascinated with change and adaptability and dealing with uncertainty being resilient. A lot of the, the characteristics that you see in entrepreneurs and and want to continue to improve myself. And it sort of became a way for me to be able to talk to former players who are now coaches and, and well-respected coaches like Anson or Mark Krikorian and learn a little bit from them. And so the podcast is just a way to be able to share some insights from the game that I thoroughly enjoy and hopefully help other people improve a little bit uh, as I do myself along the way. Before we came on the air, you told me that you just uh, got done with your 15th episode of Beautiful Game. Tell us about uh, your next guest coming up and some of the stories that uh, were shared. I think that the beauty of a podcast is that uh, unless it's a, a sort of current events podcast, this one is one where the stories and insights from the coaches are evergreen. And so some of the earliest episodes are, are ones that I still go back and listen to and enjoy. You know, Jay Demerit, uh, many people are familiar with his story of, of making it in the English Premier League. But now he's finding another way to teach the next generation with his captain's camps that he's, he's running up in Pemberton, uh, British Columbia, another uh, Canadian transplant here. 
or the stories of former players like Yael Alverbush-West or Sarah Applehagen, um, their journey in the women's game to the very top of the women's game, and now uh, working as coaches and entrepreneurs, Anson, uh, Dorrance, Mark Florian. Uh, the episode that we released today of, was with the GM of PSV Eindhoven and head of women's football, Sandra Dorelyers, who was a renowned player herself, played with Mark Corian at, at Hartford, uh, an academic All-American, and uh, has a lot of experience in leadership positions in the nonprofit sector, and then wanted to get back into the game as she was finishing her coaching badges, got connected with some folks at PSV Eindhoven uh, near where she's originally from, and has been doing great things helping that club, which is very well respected on the men's side of the game, build their, their women's program to, to a really high level. We've got uh, some interesting coaches coming up. The head coach of the English women's national team is on the schedule. And so I think that we'll continue to be able to share stories of, of resilience and adaptation. And a lot of the themes around leadership and empathy and communication and radical candor and dealing with uncertainty and thriving in a competitive world are universal and, and arguably needed now more than ever. Yeah, now more than ever indeed. In fact, uh, this will be released on Thursday. Two days prior to that, I will talk to Emma Hayes, the head coach for the Chelsea women's soccer team, and then Amanda Vandervoort, who is a head and chief of women's soccer. But essentially, she's the union boss for every women's professional soccer player in the world. And you mentioned the word empathy and dealing with tough times. I mean, she's gone through a ton, uh, even with her own health. And uh, Emma Hayes is there with her son. But if you had a chance to talk to those two, what would be questions you would want us to ask? Because we'll make sure to get them in there and give you credit. As you know, Dean, I like to do a ton of background research first, so I would need to learn a lot more about both of them to really get to the to the detailed questions. But often we ask around the themes of resilience and continuous improvement, and so understanding what they do to evaluate their own work so that they improve a little each day is, is something that we ask all of our guests. We also like to know about coaches along the way that taught them uh, resilience or, or other mental skills for adapting with change uh, so that we can we can share some of those ideas with our audience. So, Carrie Taylor, who is now the assistant coach for Landon Donovan out in San Diego as part of his USL championship team, was our first guest. And as you heard me say, she is, like you, a Wolverine. She grew up in Flint, Michigan. It was easy for her to choose Michigan, played for Debbie Belkin, who was on that 91 U.S. World Cup team, and then she went on to tell her whole story. So let me open that door because I find you fascinating. Where did you grow up? How did you end up in Michigan, and how did you end up now in Vancouver? Well, I grew up in a in a small town called Erie, Pennsylvania. You know, spent summers baling hay on a dairy farm, and grew up cooking with my grandmother. Uh, my grandfather had a had a garden that was a little over an acre. Thought of of potentially being a chef, but. I'm just old enough that that wasn't uh, a real job at the time and uh, was on the debate team and had went to Cathedral Preparatory School and was recruited to be on the debate team at the University of Michigan. Chose to go there. It was a proud Wolverine. 
played some intramural soccer, but uh, it was debate that I was primarily focused on. And then I did end, I ended up rowing for the, for the University of Michigan for a while as well, just uh, just on junior varsity. But wasn't going to go to law school with the rest of my friends from the debate team, and started working in restaurants and decided I was going to be a professional chef. Then over the course of nearly a decade, cooked in Chicago, Hawaii, D.C., it, Michelin starred experience in Italy. Uh, while I was cooking in Chicago, I played uh, semi-professionally for two different clubs there in Chicago. After I retired from that side of the game, was playing in a fairly competitive co-ed league and uh, met my wife playing there, Sarah Niccolo, who played for the University of Mississippi. She's originally from Vancouver, and when we were starting to think about having kids, uh, being close to grandparents was uh, something that was important, and so we uh, we moved to Vancouver. Well, and then that ties back into part of the reason why it appears a lot of your focus with your guests is geared around the women's game. You were kind enough to tell me that you've got a daughter that wants to play and likes to play, and perhaps you were even inspired by the fact that uh, you know she'll hopefully have a professional league assuming NWSL keeps on rocking on. She's only five, right, as you were telling that story with Ants and Dorrance. Uh, that's playing a key role in what you're doing with Beautiful Game as well, right, your daughter? Absolutely. I, I think the very first, as soon as I got the podcast equipment, the, the first interview was with her, Freya, uh, that uh, we're planning on releasing for the for the 100th episode. Um, yeah, all of my kids play, both my sons play fairly competitively. Um, we regularly go to Europe for them to be able to train as well. We uh, we were just with Legia Warsaw in Poland, uh, nearly got stuck in Poland, uh, but uh, made it back to, to Vancouver. You know, my wife playing, and something that we've always talked about is there are lots of college coaches that we've talked to, but there's more opportunity now for, for women potentially to go play professionally in the same way that's happening in the men's games. One thing that PSV Eindhoven has just done is sign a new labor agreement. So a lot of the contractual standards that exist in the men's game are now starting to show up in the women's game. Yael's working on that with the NWSL. Um, you mentioned the the work at uh, FIFPRO that's happening. And so I think that those opportunities and, and the way that the game is starting to accept women in the game more, um, both as players and uh, as coaches and, and front office leaders, is something that's exciting to see but uh, is long overdue. We're here with Tony Niccolo. He is the host and founder of Beautiful Game, the podcast brought to you by Weasels FC. We cover that in the first part of it. And, Tony, i got to ask you, and perhaps you were there even at the recent convention, but they do do a podcast role at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Have you been a part of that yet? So, in uh, in true Weasels fashion, we were I was there at the convention, but we were not in podcast row. We did four or five interviews over the course of the convention, including with another Wolverine, Jennifer Klein, uh, who's the head coach at, at Michigan now. What we did is uh, I made friends with the folks who run the little business office that was there in the convention center uh, in Baltimore. They let us use their sort of back room desk area. So I set up there, and that's that's where we recorded our, 
our podcast interviews. So I, I like that answer, typical weasel. That seems way, but will you come out of the channels next year and, and be out there with us in Anaheim, or will you continue to be behind the scenes, behind the curtain? No, we, we, we're happy to, to come participate. You know, our audience is not really soccer coaches. We love the insights that coaches have, but we want to share them with an audience uh, beyond soccer, hopefully bring some of those lessons of, of the beautiful game to other business people and parents and artists uh, who can use their insights to, to improve their own lives. But, yes, we'll, we'll happily come out of the shadows and, and uh, participate. And hopefully uh, we'll all be able to be together in Anaheim. We're all dealing with this. What, you know, what message do you have for folks across the world that are dealing with COVID-19, tying it back through the love and passion of the game of soccer, and then also one of your key messages of resiliency? Well, I think that for everyone, uh, dealing with uncertainty is hard in, in different ways. For people who have have more privilege, uh, maybe doesn't impact them as much, um, but there are certainly people who have lost loved ones. Um, and I think that the thing that you've got to do is, is just get out of bed each day. And, and what helps me get out of bed every day is the opportunity to be a little bit better than, than I was the day before. And so whether that's from a from a soccer standpoint and, and you see all of the, the folks who are you know, taking the opportunity to do a little extra training uh, away from their teams now. Or maybe it's just to have an extra glass of water than you did the day before uh, to be a little bit healthier. And I, and I think that what we forget is that all of those small things add up, uh, and they add up to make a, a meaningful life as well. And so trying to, to just be a little bit better each day and uh, find a little bit more joy in each day it's really the way that uh, we get through through difficult times because difficult times uh, do certainly pass. In closing, it's kind of a double question, one with promotion and then one with you kind of just reflecting. As you think about all of the guests you've had so far, what has been kind of a pinnacle moment for you on the podcast? And then as you close, tell everybody where they can find your podcast because I want everybody to be able to listen to your detailed podcast because they're great. So for me, there hasn't been a, a singular moment. Uh, it really is uh, a way for me to, to openly share things that I'm learning along the way through through these fantastic coaches and people that I'm able to talk to. And so the themes of, of leadership and empathy and, and communication, and really a big one is is radical candor. That the top coaches. They treat all of their players as more than just players. They, they treat them as, as people, and they want them to be better people and improve in their lives and, and really take the lessons of the game into their day-to-day -day life. And the way they do that is with being very open and honest uh, and candid with their feedback to those, those players and, and the people that they surround themselves with. But more than anything, they hope that, the people that they surround themselves will give that same kind of radical feedback to them. Uh, they are they are amazingly open to criticism and want to improve uh, a little bit each day and, and figure out how they can get better themselves. And so it's it's just been uh, a truly fascinating and, and inspiring journey to be able to to speak with uh, the great coaches that I've been able to so far and and will continue to. 
and you can uh, join the journey yourself uh, by uh, listening, subscribing in your favorite podcast app, whether that's Apple iTunes or Spotify, and you can find every episode at weaselsfc.com. Tony Niccolo, beautiful game. Thank you so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks so much, Team. Certainly my pleasure, and my pleasure to talk to Carrie Taylor, the first female assistant coach. She is Landon Donovitz, first assistant for the San Diego team in USL Championship. The former Wolverine, Hannah Davison, star at Northwestern, now with the Chicago Red Stars. She is part of the Winning Ways campaign, doing all kinds of great things. She also shares time with me on the Big Ten Network, not afraid of any challenge. Great to hear her story. And then, of course, the story you just heard from Tony Niccolo, who is the host of the podcast, Beautiful Game, brought to you by Weasels FC. I also want to thank Sean Chevrel and Mike Knipper at United Soccer Coaches and each and every one of you listening. Be safe out there. Be smart out there. And I hope to see you real soon. This is Dean Linke for the United Soccer Coaches podcast.